About the beginning of the 6th century BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon overthrew the nation of Judah and took captive thousands from Jerusalem and the surrounding territories. Virtually all of these captives remain nameless to us today, but among them, four young Jews stood above the crowd. And we know them by name to this very day, some 2,600 years later. Who would have guessed that each one, no doubt no more than a teenager at the time, would go on to hold a high position in the government of one of the greatest empires of the time? One of them would eventually be placed over the whole province of Babylon. And years later, when the Medes and Persians overthrew Babylon, this man was again promoted to high position under Darius and Cyrus. How could captive slaves come to such great prominence? What was it that made these young men stand out? What did they have that so few have today? And what separated them from everyone around them? Tyrants can be named in great abundance, and weak individuals in leadership position are easily found. But where do we find strong yet benevolent men and women with leadership capacity? Have you noticed that when people go into government, whether they are rich or poor going in, they all seem to come out financially very well off? Instead of serving the public, too many public servants end up being served by the public. Leadership is not confined to government. Leaders can be found on the job, in your neighborhood, and yes, even in your home. Leaders can be found nearly everywhere. And in one respect, we are all leaders. And so the real questions are, what kind of leader are you, and how can you become a better one? On today's program, I'm going to explain what these four young Jewish captives had that you need to have if you want to be a truly successful leader. We'll look at three character traits they possessed that you too can have and must have if you truly desire to stand above the crowd. Stay tuned. A warm welcome to all of you from Tomorrow's World and the Living Church of God, the sponsor of Tomorrow's World. And I especially want to welcome all of you who are tuning in for the very first time. On today's program, we're going to look at three character traits that brought four young Jewish captives to prominence in the great Chaldean Empire. We're going to see what it was that brought them to the attention of men in high places, and how it was that they stood above the crowd. But first, let's address the subject of leadership in general. Who can qualify to be considered a leader? Every person tuning in to today's program not only can be a leader, but ought to be a leader. In many cultures, a husband is regarded as a leader of his home. Certainly, parents are responsible for leading and directing their children, and this incredibly important role as parent should never be minimized. 
You might be in a leadership position where you work or go to school, but you don't need a position or title to be a great leader. In truth, we are all leaders no matter where we are in life. And even in death, we can lead by setting an example of dignity and courage. Because to a great extent, leadership involves the example we set for others. For a number of years, I was a director at a summer camp for teens. And in the orientation given to the staff prior to the beginning of camp, I would tell the incoming staff that every one of them would be an example to the campers. The only question would be, what kind of example? Would it be an example that others should follow? Or would it be a poor example that encourages campers to do the wrong things? Would campers want to buy into the better way of life that we were teaching them? Or would they, because of someone's poor example, reject the values we were trying to instill in them? And then I would end by saying, like it or not, you will be an example. Many books have been written about leadership, but most miss the mark by focusing on the how-to and neglect the important keys, the character traits that automatically produce good leaders. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had these key character traits. So let's begin by looking at them. Key character trait number one is, successful leaders have core values. Real leaders are not wishy-washy. They don't change their mind to win popularity contests. They know what they believe and why. Today we have too many popularity-seeking politicians and too few great leaders. Compromising their principles is no obstacle. But in the book of Daniel, we are met with four young men who are neither popularity seekers nor politicians. Shortly after they were brought to Babylon, they found themselves selected as candidates for positions in the Chaldean government. They were chosen because they met qualifications that indicated they were young men of character and potential. It's evident from the criteria by which they were selected, as spelled out in the biblical book named after one of them, that they were hardworking and gifted. Daniel, the first chapter. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Confucius would have been pleased. He's greatly misunderstood in the Western world, and most think of him as a religious figure, when in reality he was a philosopher and government official who believed that people should be promoted as a result of qualifications rather than who they know. It's true that Daniel and his three friends may have been of more noble birth, but their selection went far beyond that, and they still had to prove themselves. King Nebuchadnezzar ordered special food for all his young captives who were selected for further training. But these royal dainties violated certain food restrictions these young men held. They could have compromised their convictions, as all their fellow captives apparently did, but instead they stood their ground and displayed great wisdom in the way they addressed the problem. 
So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. Notice that they were offering a solution to the problem they were facing, and they did it respectfully. In other words, they wanted to get along. They understood they were under authority, but they also recognized a higher authority, and that is God. The king's steward gave in to their request for a ten-day trial. And the result? And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. We should not minimize this conflict over what they were forbidden to eat, but greater trials would soon face them. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of Do You Believe the True Gospel? You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call today. Key character trait number one is, successful leaders have core values. And that brings us to key character trait number two, successful leaders have courage to live their values. Daniel's three friends are better known by their Chaldean names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Perhaps you've heard of them. They became known for primarily one reason. They refused to compromise their convictions in the face of death. Not only did they have core values from which they would not compromise for the sake of expediency, they had the courage to stand on those convictions in a situation that very literally could cost them their lives. Here's how it happened. In the course of time, Nebuchadnezzar made a great image some 30 meters tall, set it up in a suitable location, and called all government officials throughout his empire to come to its dedication. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among them. The third chapter of Daniel describes the scene. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. This presented a serious problem. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were deeply devoted to the God of all creation as found in the Bible. And what they were told to do contradicted one of God's commands. The second of the Ten Commandments given by God instructs us, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, 
or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. Here was their choice. Defy the king's command and risk being thrown into a red-hot furnace, a sure death, or compromise with God's command, follow the crowd, and bow down before the idol. Would they choose to compromise and live, or would they defy the king's command and die if they were reported? Would they obey the king they could see, or the God they had never seen? Who could blame them if they rationalized that it was okay to disobey God because their life was on the line? Now let's be honest with ourselves. Most people will choose life over conviction and obedience to an unseen God. How about you? Do you consider it stupid or foolish to put your life on the line over what most people consider to be a minor issue or even a superstition? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose obedience to God over life when they refused to bow down to the lifeless golden idol, and true to form, some jealous officials took note of it and reported them to the king. Consider what it must have been like for them when they were escorted before the furious monarch. Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute ruler who held the power of death over his subjects. All he had to do was speak the word and it was done. There was no need for a judge or jury. He was the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Incensed and angry, Nebuchadnezzar explained the choice before them. Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? How many people down through history have caved when given such a choice? We don't know, and the reason we don't know is because cowards and compromisers are quickly forgotten. We know about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they were not cowards. They didn't cave under pressure. They displayed rare courage and refused to compromise with their core beliefs. Note their quick response to the man who would, without a doubt, sentence them to a horrific death. Daniel, the third chapter, beginning in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. It's important to note that these men were not stirring up a riot or insurrection against the king. The Bible nowhere encourages people to rise up against their rulers. On the contrary, we are commanded in the Bible to respect those who rule over us. The Bible is abundantly clear on this point and warns against undermining those in authority. Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 21, tells us the following. My son, fear the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly 
And who knows the ruin those two, meaning God and the king, can bring. Our first two keys to successful leadership are successful leaders have core values. And number two, successful leaders have courage to live their values. But true success needs a third critically important key, and that is that successful leaders have truth and love. Many men and women who are perceived to be great leaders fail this test. Yes, they are considered great and have been enshrined in our history books, but were they truly great or were they merely memorable? What lasting good did they do for mankind? What was their legacy? Were they more interested in making the lives of their people better or were they more interested in their own egos and how great they would be? Consider the following list, Alexander the Great, Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, Napoleon Bonaparte, and the list could go on. These brought temporary glory and pride to their nations, but at what cost? How many young men didn't survive long enough to get married, experience the joy of fatherhood, and bounce grandchildren on their knees? Consider the pain of parents bereaved of their sons, wives turned into grieving widows, and children growing up without a father. Consider the havoc their armies brought upon their enemies. Can we forget the Japanese occupation of China or the rape of Nanking? Where was the love in it all? To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of Do You Believe the True Gospel? You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call today. Jesus Christ came to teach a better way. He taught us to love even our enemies. Here's what He instructs His followers. But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Now that is something you'll not likely find in a book on leadership. But what good are you to the world unless you lead for the benefit of others? When a parent is a good role model to his or her child, that's successful leadership. When he or she is a poor role model, that's failed leadership. Doesn't it make sense that leaders should lead for the good of those being led? Most of man's history has been a chronicle of failed leaders, but we're so deceived we don't always recognize that. For sure there have been exceptions, but the overall thread of history is not a pretty one. The gospel that Jesus Christ brought to the world was a message about a coming kingdom, not up in heaven, but here on this earth. He is even now in the process of training leaders for that kingdom. It won't be a kingdom brought about through some charismatic leader rising up to overthrow the current order. We've had far too many of those messiahs already. The kingdom the Bible speaks of comes about as a result of the true messiah, Jesus Christ, returning to this earth with power and glory. It's not unusual for someone to want to know what reward is in store for him for his labors. 
Even Jesus' disciples wanted to know what would be the end result of their labors in following Him. On a particular occasion, one of them asked Jesus about their reward. Notice the question and the response in Matthew, the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 27. Then Peter answered and said to Him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. If Peter asked this question, shouldn't we? What's in it for those of us who choose to follow Jesus Christ and dedicate our lives to God? What about you? Don't you want to know? Is our reward only to die and go to a great candy store in the sky with nothing to do for all of eternity? Did God create us so that He could give us some celestial LSD trip? Does the Bible reveal to us what our reward will be? And if so, what is it? The parable of the Minas explains the following in Luke, the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 12. Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, or units of money, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. The nobleman is Jesus Christ, and the far country is heaven where he has been since his resurrection from the dead. His servants are his followers, and the citizens are the world as a whole, which has rejected him and his message. Now let's look further. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first one, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you are faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. But he didn't stop there. He went on to explain that the man whose mina gained five minas would be given rulership over five cities. Is this something we should ignore or spiritualize away? When we take all the scriptures together, we see a pattern of rulership for the future. Referring to King David, who has been dead for nearly 3,000 years, we're told that he will be resurrected to life and rule over all twelve tribes of Israel. Here it is in Jeremiah, the thirtieth chapter, verse 9. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. And notice that it speaks of David, whom I will raise up for them. Now some would like to say that this is a reference to Christ, but David's role here is to be king over all Israel. This is further confirmed in Ezekiel 34 and 37. But Christ's role is far greater, as shown in Zechariah the 14th chapter and verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and His name one. The pattern is clear. 
Jesus Christ will return to rule over all the earth. King David will rule over all 12 tribes of Israel. Christ's disciples will each rule over one of the 12 tribes. And we, if we are faithful to Christ, will rule over cities, the number of which depends on what kind of character and leadership ability we gain in this lifetime. This is confirmed in what is called the Song of the Saints in Revelation, the fifth chapter, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Only those who develop the same kind of leadership skills as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be thought worthy to reign in Christ's coming kingdom. Of course, Jesus Christ set the ultimate example of leadership. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. As we have seen today, God is calling all of us to learn a very different kind of leadership. In the eyes of God, successful leaders have core values. They have courage to live those values and they have love and truth. These traits are also foundational traits of God's soon coming kingdom. Those who will be given prominent positions in the kingdom will be those who exhibit these three keys to successful leadership. Now, if you'd like to learn more about this coming kingdom, which is the core of the gospel taught by Jesus Christ, then visit our website, which will be shown momentarily and read or download our booklet, Do You Believe the True Gospel? There you will discover the true good news that Jesus brought, and will be learning the exciting future that God has planned for mankind, and why it is that true servants of God, such as Daniel and his three friends, were willing to put their lives on the line. And be sure to come back next week at this same time and learn the reason behind today's news and the good news of tomorrow's world. See you next time, right here. To learn more about today's topic, visit www.twcanada.org to read or order your free copy of Do You Believe the True Gospel? It reveals the wonderful message of the true gospel Jesus Christ taught. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895. Call 1-866-784-7895. Or by writing to us at Tomorrow's World, PO Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M 0P6. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine revealing God's principles for living an abundant and happy life 
while providing insight into current and future events. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Call, write, or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.